When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Derek here. Just say today's episode deals with Article 40.3.3 of the Irish Constitution, sometimes more commonly known as the Eighth Amendment. This can be quite a controversial topic and it deals with a lot of adult themes and if that's something that you don't think will interest you, we're going to give you a little note now and we'll look forward to seeing you next week. And I'm Geraldine McAvoy. Happy International Women's Day, Geraldine. Thank you very much. Yes, yeah, thank you very much. Happy International Men's Day every other day of the year. <laughs> yes. And uh, shout out to Eva Martin for telling me that every month. <laughs> Are you doing anything special for International Women's Day? Uh, yes, I am marching today, uh, International Women's Day. Um, I have taken part in a march today um, in Dublin City Centre. Um for repeating the Eighth Amendment. It is 100 years since women got the right to vote, so we're having a march um, in commemoration of that, but also um, about uh, repeating the Eighth Amendment. Okay, and so obviously 100 years ago, women got the right to vote. That was one of the first expressions of that. The, the election of the first MP in the House of Commons was happened right here in Dublin City. Yes, their own uh, great lady, uh, Countess Markovich. She was uh, quite a woman. She certainly was. And uh, and her her eternal advice for uh, leaving your earrings at home, wearing a short skirt, and carrying a revolver yes. holds true to this There's day. Words to live on your gold ones. She wanted us to leave our gold ones at home. I don't I don't have one, but if I did, I'd leave it at home. I think. Well, maybe you'll get one for Christmas maybe, this year. Yeah, Garaging, you as well as having ex- extensive expertise in the Irish language and the use of terminology, you also have a legal background, and you are uniquely qualified more than any of my other regular <laughs> contributors, to talk about the Irish language aspects of Article 40.3.3 of the Bunrogna Heron. Yes, I think uniquely qualified is a nice way of saying that. Your research interests are like so niche. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so my background is, is we I've mentioned it before, translation, um, but it's law on translation, so I would have done some legal translation and also legal um, interpretation of Irish language texts and Irish language legal texts. So, yeah, I guess um, I kind of know what I'm talking about when I'm looking at the Constitution in Irish. And it's something that I've mentioned on this show before. Um, 
that I think it's undersold the importance of the Irish language text in the Constitution because we, we may have a constitution, a founding legal document that is written in two languages, but only one of those languages is uh, essentially legally binding. Mm-hmm. So where there's a, a disparity between the two texts, the Irish one wins out. And I've, I, I'm sure I've mentioned it on an episode before about the presidential age um, and mm-hmm. how the age of the president is 35, whereas in the English texts, you had to have entered your 35th year. And that means that once the day you're over 34, you become eligible to be president. But in, in the Irish language text, it says that um, you have to have reached your 35th year. So you have to be... Take that, 34-year-olds. Exactly. Yeah, you got to <laughs> wait another year. <laughs> um, so that's a fairly... I mean, it's it's not that controversial of an issue. But um, the Irish language text can't be understated um any person who's ever studied a legal degree out there will be really familiar with some cases from uh, the 70s. Um, one in particular, uh, Ryan versus the Attorney General. It's a really boring case in content, but everybody has oh, no. to study it. <laughs> it was about fluoridation in, in waters, water supplies. Well, come on. We all know that fluoridation was invented in Moscow by the communists and introduced to them. Exactly. It's mind control. Effectively, that was the argument that it was, it was mind control. Well, no, it wasn't. But that fluoridation was bad for you. And this lady wanted to... It's state-imposed uh, involuntary <laughs> medication of a population. Yeah, I think that was the general argument that... The, the government decided to introduce it to, because we all had like wicked tooth decay. So they were like, let's put some fluoride in the waters. And George there was a, Soros invests in fluoride. It's George Soros. Let that be the only mention of poor Al George in this episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was uh, that case. And this this woman brought this case. Um, Gladys Ryan was her name. I think she might have been from the Grace Park Road um, in Dublin. But uh, she brought this case that it, it was, you know... Um, she had a right to, to bodily integrity and the government didn't didn't have a right to put this badness into her system. Oh. And it was from the Irish language text that Justice Kenny in the High Court looked at our constitution and said that, OK, it says the constitution protects these rights in particular. But what that means is we protect these rights plus a whole host of other rights that aren't mentioned. So mm. it, it gave birth to this doctrine of, of unenumerated rights what that means is there are rights beyond the constitution and we have to recognise those so it was from the Irish language text that that came to cut a long story short um, mm. so you can't understate how important the, the Irish text of the constitution is and how important it has been in the construction particularly of article 40.3.3 which is the 8th amendment um, but it's the 8th amendment changed the constitution and inserted mm-hmm. article 40.3.3 when there is referendum, people won't be asked that the actual text will be repealing 40.3.3 and, and a number of related paragraphs. Yeah. Rather than so, just in case people were, might be confused on election day, that is going to be what they'll be seeing. Exactly. I think we're we're going to be taking out um, the 8th, the 13th and the 14th amendments, um, but they, they constitute Article 40.3.3. But um, yeah, like I was saying, it, it is really important and I think really indicative of kind of the intent of the Eighth Amendment when it was brought brought in, when this article was brought in, that it was brought in for a very specific reason. Um, and and again, I, I'd recommend anybody who's interested, Ruan McCormick has a really good book that was brought out in 2016. And I, I like sing its praises in my class all the time. My, my students are sick of hearing it. Mm. But it, it really explains sort of how we came to be here with the Eighth Amendment and how it developed out of this case 
of uh, Mrs. McGee in Dublin who couldn't have any more kids and sought contraception because she was going to die if she had any more kids. Mm-hmm. And this case, how it, it came to be in the 70s and, and Ireland was so not ready for, you know, legalised contraception that the backlash from that was let's legislate for criminalising abortion in all circumstances and outlawing it effectively in all circumstances bar a very slim minority. And, you know, it's it's really interesting, the progression and the kind of societal impacts around it and how we came to be here. But I would definitely recommend anyone reading that. OK, and, and I suppose we'll get, I mean, we will get back into just the actual, the, the origin of the, of that particular article and the, and the referendum that created that amendment. But first, I want to talk maybe a little, a little bit about just to give people some context about the Constitution in general, and particularly in the difference between the, the source, the original core document and the, the amendments that the the constitution was originally written with English and Irish at the same time. Yeah. But the amendments are often written in English and translated. Yeah. And I think that's probably indicative of a a society that's probably moved on from the need to show itself as distinctly different Mm -hmm. from the United Kingdom. Um, I, at the point of, of podcasting right at this moment, we don't have an Irish language text. Maybe soon we will. But, um, I highly doubt that there's been much resource. I think, you know, with all due respect to the government, there's a certain element that have been ignoring the uh, upcoming referendum. And I can't imagine many resources have been put on uh, to translating a text. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe there's some great translators out there, some Ranoganastricon, but I don't know if there's been any uh, major uh, efforts to create terminology. So, but to get back to your point about the Constitution, um, so the Constitution is like, it's our foundational document. So mm. it's really good to look at the, the Irish for constitution, which is Bun Racht, which is bottom or base law. So mm. Racht is legislation. So Bun Racht is your bottom law. So everything that we have in our legal system develops from the constitution. And um, that's why um, the constitution has to be written in a sort of vague way because we need to progress as a society without changing our constitution every two years. You know, okay, we have had recent enough referenda but they generally don't happen that often so this is manageable because our constitution is 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 basic in one sense um and is written on a basic level and then we have the amendments which i mean if you look at the divorce amendment to the constitution it's so detailed and so problematic mm-hmm. and they're talking about changing it again um and you know th- this is an amendment to it because it's so detailed and it, it needs to to move with the times and it's it's not really happening but in respect of Irish, I'm not sure what the process is now for translating uh, amendments, but I know. So in the same sex marriage referendum, um, we had a situation where the Irish language text would have made heterosexual marriages illegal. So it was essentially saying that marriage is between two people of the same sex. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, which, OK, that was what we were hoping to change and we did end up changing, but it would have totally outlawed um, heterosexual marriage, um, which was, you know, humorous and they didn't end up changing it, but it's, uh, you know, they didn't pay that much attention to it. Hopefully now they will with that, with that mess up um, that maybe with the current uh, referendum, they will have a better amendment. I expect so. Um, Hopefully. I hope so. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. And then obviously the actual, the origin of this particular uh, amendment, it happened on foot of, the 1967 legislation of the United Kingdom and the Roe versus Wade case in the United States. Yeah. When I guess people, maybe there was a there was a group in Ireland who were concerned that even with a lot of political will, a, a, 
a court case could still create different precedents that really were against the, the will of a voting majority. Yeah, because we had our case, we had our, so Roe versus Wade came in, it's the United States case that legalised abortion um, and found that abortion was covered under the right to privacy. Um, so prior to that, they legalised um, contraceptives in Griswold versus Connecticut and they developed that argument in Roe versus Wade from Griswold to Connecticut to extend to abortion. And we had our Griswold versus Connecticut. That was McGee versus Ireland. Um, and we had our case that went from... Uh, the, the fear was that McGee, because we had legalised contraception under the right to privacy, that we would progress into legalising abortion under uh, the right to privacy, despite the fact that the majority of the judges all said very blatantly this does not allow for the right to abortions. We are not legalizing abortion. Yeah. We're just legalizing. At the time, it was spermicidal lube. I think condoms weren't legal until maybe 94. I remember I remember that well. And interestingly, the uh, this is one of the footnotes is that the Virgin Megastore in Dublin started selling novelty colored and flavored condoms. <laughs> and the idea was, similar to head shops selling uh, selling bongs, they said, oh, we're, these are just novelty items. We don't, whatever people do with them is their own business. No, mind blown. And that is why... <laughs> That is why when they were when they were legalized in the court case, they were they were taxed for VAT reasons as a luxury or novelty item and not as a healthcare item. Oh man, luxury! And that, <laughs> that was only and that was only amended recently that it was brought down, and a lot of people said very fairly this should be this is just a, a household hygienic yeah. um, personal object. It should be taxed like a toothbrush, yeah, as opposed to like something fancier, but like like a tampon, which is still a luxury tax. <laughs> Given that it's International Women's Day, I do feel I need to mention that, that that's still a luxury item. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's let's not let that one slip. No, absolutely. Before that, condoms were only allowed. Well, condoms were only allowed with prescription. And when there was, um, I remember the news story at the time. People thought, well, this is um, this is a slippery slope. And it was yeah. it was the early nineties. I, I remember because it was. Um, there was a lot of stuff coming on at the time. It was people people couldn't just uh, listen to the news and not hear kind of um, adult content anymore. Yeah, it was around the time of the X case as well. Yeah, the X case is ninety two. Yeah, um, but it's a uh, it's funny that 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 happened in that way. Like, um, you know, it was around that time that that people started changing. And and like you said, there was a uh, it was only today that I was for a totally unrelated. I was trying to explain some sort of point in my class today, and I was for some reason googling when the first gay kiss on Irish television was because oh. I thought it was a lot later than it was but it was 1996 on Ross <laughs> it's available on YouTube that must be the first scripted gay kiss oh, because God. I remember Jerry Ryan has had a game show of sorts called Secrets oh. and a person had <laughs> to a, a man had to guess which he had to he was blindfolded and he had to kiss three women and guess which one was his wife but it actually turned out one of them was actually a man and he kissed a man on television Oh my um, God! <laughs> the mailbag the following week was quite. I was uh, going to say the letters to Joe Duffy. Was Joe Duffy around back then? I don't know. I think at sure. the time he he may not have had the current show he had, but he was definitely around as a kind of as a as a relief podcaster, right? Yeah, yeah. I can imagine mm. the outcry. I think we've drifted slightly. It was a little bit. <laughs> yeah, getting back to this was the thing was yes. Yeah, so it was put to the put to the people in the early eighties. Yeah, in in nineteen eighty three, the Eighth Amendment came in, and Article forty point three point three was born. Yeah. So the text um, of the Constitution of Article 40.3.3 effectively um, equates the life mm-hmm. of the mother to the life of the unborn. And what it says is, the state acknowledges the right to life of the unborn with due regard to the equal right to life of the mother and guarantees in its laws to respect and as far as practicable by its laws to defend and vindicate that right. And it's a really positively, you know, on, on first glance, it looks pretty positive. Um, yeah. 
However, the outcome from that has been not so positive, um, not positive at all. Effectively, we, we are one of the only countries in the Western world, the developed world, that don't have abortion. And we are one of the only countries in the world, I believe, probably the only country in the world that legislates so strongly in their constitution to outlaw abortion um, mm. in all circumstances but death. And and as we saw in 2014 with that awful case, that woman who, who died in a car accident, death is no guarantee that you will be provided with an abortion. Yes. I mean, and to compare it to other legislation in Europe, to other countries which have had maybe had a, um, a, a large influence of the Catholic Church that have maybe a certain age populations, Spain, Italy, places like that, yeah. Ireland, Ireland's laws would be far more severe. We yeah we have the most severe. I think Malta has a similarly severe laws. Um, again, Malta is a Catholic country. Um, and Poland has pretty severe laws, but I think Poland allows for uh, risks to health or perhaps it's it's rape or incest. I'm not sure, but they do allow for more um, uh, more liberal laws than than we do. And while it is legal in, in certain countries like like Italy, it's it's quite hard to to access. But nevertheless, we are an outlier, and that is mm. so important for people to realize that this is not normal. This is not normal behavior in a European country, in a developed country. This is not the norm. Other countries don't do this because you know it's 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 been recognized as a human right. And don't anybody at me and tell me that it's not a human. It is a human right. The UN have repeatedly said that it's a human right, mm-hmm. um, and any. Opinion to that is mere opinion. Um, if it's not coming from the UN, I'm not buying it. Gotcha. So let's talk about the actual Irish language terminology for some of the um, the expressions in question. I mean, and uh, people can debate that say certain words can be emotive, and when they're yeah. translated, maybe or maybe the other words are less emotive or not. Yeah. For example, um, let's start with the word unborn. Yeah. So this is the word that we use in the Constitution. We don't talk about fetus in the Constitution. We talk about the unborn, mm-hmm. and the Irish text of that is the Biogan Bre, which translates to alive without birth. And I've tweeted about this before, and people have have asked me if this, you know, if there's a an argument to say that if we can prove that life doesn't happen till a certain time, then is is abortion legal up to a certain time? And I definitely don't think that that's a, an avenue that the courts want to go down. Um, but it also creates so many issues. You know, what is life? Where do we guarantee life? We we guarantee the right to life. Does that include? You know, it's 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 messy. It's really messy. But you know, these words were chosen deliberately, and they were chosen to prevent, in all cases, but almost none for allowing for abortion because you have this terminology and, and it's even more so emotive in the Irish language. Um, I think there was perhaps a fear that people would sort of circumvent the English wording with the Irish wording and then mm. we would suddenly have a liberal state of, of immoral Jezebels but that hasn't happened because the Irish language text is, is so strong in its uh, wording of Biogan Bre. Is the word mother used in the Irish language? Yeah, it's Imohar is the word used. It's uh, the same word used uh uh, throughout the constitution when we talk about mothers and how they belong in the home. <laughs> That's right. I suppose, yeah, that, that, that'll be another day's episode. Yeah. Which we will definitely, <laughs> definitely get to. And there's the actual word, the actual word abortion in either its English or Irish form or its accepted Irish form isn't doesn't feature in either side of the constitution. No, page. it doesn't. Because Again, the, con- the article 40.3.3 is worded in such a way that it almost looks like a positive right. And mm-hmm. it is worded, you know, that, that has a legal connotation. It would be considered a positive right, but it, its effect is a negative outcome that you are prevented from uh, exercising bodily autonomy. And they don't use the word abortion. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, 
when it comes to Irish, we have such negative terminology for abortion. The word abortion is ginvile, which is fetus destruction. Mm-hmm. And okay, you know, you want to be literal about it. Fine. That's what it is. But there is such a need to use neutral language when we are legislating. And if we do legislate for, um, you know, abortion and we use this terminology in the, the Irish text, I think it does such harm to to us, us as a society for for, you know, creating this like awful, you know, this is a difficult enough decision for people. They don't need to be mm-hmm. judged in the, the, the language that that's being selected. Um, and obviously there's opinions on that that would be run contrary to mine. But I just think that there is a need and there has been, it's been called out during the Citizens Assembly, I believe, that we need neutral language. Yeah, I think so we have neutral language for things like bankruptcy. If, if the actual legislation for bankruptcy said like deadbeat with a good lawyer, uh, <laughs> we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't accept it. Yeah, and yeah. If the same legislation referred to a lawyer as an ambulance chaser or something like that, that wouldn't yeah. be considered acceptable either. I think it would be uh, upsetting to some, and and it is. It's 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 horribly upsetting um, that terminology, um, particularly in our first official language. Um, mm-hmm. So I think there is a need to create. I think to create new new terminology that hasn't. I don't know if it's happened. It hasn't appeared in any of the sources that I I would frequent but um, I would love to see the creation of new terminology for uh, abortion Tell me about the expression Um, So that translates as as far as practicable um, and that effectively means as as far as possible Um, there is obviously a legal connotation there but that's the generally the um, terminology that's used in the constitution and it's consistent throughout Mm. they they refer to as far as practicable Uh, several times um, but it means as, as far as possible so we, we protect as far as possible the right to life of the mother versus the right to life of the unborn yeah. and that has had some disastrous consequences um, and everybody's familiar with those cases So there's um, there's an old word in Irish I'm just looking back into some of the older terms as togluistacht I mean a lot of people know gluistan as uh, one of the fanciful words for our car Yeah togluistacht as well as meaning um Kind of progression of sorts also has also been used in the context of abortion. Yeah, and I think that there's nothing wrong with using that word. I would, I would you know, it's, uh, I suppose, moving from one state to another. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, a, quite a way of doing it. I, I think, you know, in English, it has a, a different stem. It's it's to put an end to something, to abort, to finish, you know, um, ending a pregnancy. Um, but perhaps is, you know, the way that we, we can move around it. And, and I would like to see it happen Um the suggestion from the government at this point is that we're going to not just repeal the Eighth Amendment, but repeal and replace. Mm-hmm. And what we replace is some sort of provision saying something along the lines of um, there will be provision, the, the Oireachtas will provide for uh, legislation for termination of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, there's there's a lot of, of stuff written by, uh, I know, Mairead Enright has has. And Fiona Delundres have recently published a book on on the Eighth Amendment and and, and terminology and and how uh, it's possibly the term abortion is possibly better than than termination. But um, you know what? If if that's what it has to be for us to have abortion legislation, then then fine, I guess. But I I would prefer you know blanket repeal. Mm-hmm. That's that's a different story entirely. But uh, um, it is a uh, something to consider what the the terminology will be and I'd be very interested to see the Irish language text um, when they do release that. Guardian, uh, Ireland is a young republic. It's an old country but it's a young republic and in the less than 100 years of its existence we have uh, 
amended our constitution more often than the United States in their over 200 years. Yeah, or at least attempted to. Um, a lot in the recent years. Um, you know, we had Lisbon twice. We had hmm. uh, Maastricht. Did we do Maastricht? Nice. We, no, we, we accepted Maastricht. Nice and Lisbon. We, yeah. had to, we had to take mulligans on. Yeah, which is... <laughs> I mean, there's, a, there's an argument that that is unconstitutional, but there was so... I think you know. though, I mean, I know, I know it's it's often laughed at, but we, I think the the example of Brexit recently has really shown that sometimes people don't really start talking about an issue until after it's been given the boot, particularly yeah. for European constitution. It's one thing, I think referendums are good for things like death penalty, yes or no, yeah. but you're talking about a complicated treaties that involve um, disparate organizations and yeah. often which are lumped together as Brussels and as opposed to the actual, to having a conversation about the European Court of Justice yeah. or the European Parliament. And there's so much in those treaties. I mean, um, law from the European Union is just so convoluted. It's so detailed. So, I mean, you couldn't read all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of these treaties, you couldn't. And there was an unfortunate, again, it's a Supreme Court decision, unfortunate Supreme Court decision that means that ever since that particular c- case, we need to have a referendum every time we sign up to one of these treaties. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we tend to hold up the European process. It's a bit of pain. Um, I would be on the side that they're totally unnecessary. Um, they mm-hmm. don't affect the de- democratic process, but it's just the particular interpretation of the Constitution that the Supreme Court have gone with. And this is based on the idea that we, to amend the Constitution, as we put to the people, that the people are the sovereign people of the Republic of Ireland. Yeah. And this is a particular case that we find that citizens of the United Kingdom who live in Ireland who can vote in general elections and local elections yeah. can't vote in referendums. In Ireland, yeah, they, they can't. Yeah, it has to be put to the people. Voting in referenda is, is specifically for, for the citizens and the citizens present in Ireland um, at the time. Uh, many of us will remember during the same-sex marriage referendum that you know so many people came home to vote, myself included. Um, so you have to be present. You, know, you can't vote from abroad. Um, but I, I quite like that about our constitution. I mean, there is... It effectively puts a safeguard from the government just changing haphazardly the, the constitution at a, at a whim. Maybe it would make things move quicker, but I highly doubt that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, it can be annoying when it comes to things like, uh, uh, the, like you mentioned, the European Union stuff. But, I mean, a lot of legal scholars would be of the opinion that those uh, European treaties don't actually change our constitution so you don't have to put it to the people mm-hmm. but that's just the unfortunate outcome of that particular case and now mm-hmm. we all have to vote every time there's one of those treaties come through um, and the, the, this is a particular case when we have detailed amendments to the constitution detailed sec- sections of the constitution yeah. which like like you mentioned divorce earlier mean that it needs to be revised yeah. whereas you want something that is ultimately um a little bit aspirational, a little bit not so much vague as you only want to put things in that you want, that you know they're going to be there for a long time. Yeah, it's, but I, I think it, it's it has to be vague. I definitely agree with the the term vague and and what what it's it's known as is it's it's this is a living document. Mm. So this document was written in 1937, but it's still the majority of it is still applicable in 2018. Mm. So um, if you write it somewhat vague enough that it can move with the times without having to be changed so often, then you don't have to change it so often. Mm. And the problem with the Eighth Amendment is the Eighth Amendment was never going to move with the times. It's it's stuck in 1983 um, and arguably 1937. Um, you know, this is this is archaic. Um, mm-hmm. This is controlling of, of women's bodies in particular. And by women, obviously, I mean all people who can get pregnant. But yeah. for the sake of clarity, I'm, I'm saying women. Yes. But um, 
you know, it's it's totally controlling. And like I said already, this is this is totally alien to any other country. No other country does this. We are alone in this. Mm-hmm. And it's shameful for what we've done. I mentioned the UN earlier. We have repeatedly been found to violate human rights, to torture women um, with our laws. And it's it, it's all because of this constitutional provision. Um, I think we need to be so careful in what we agree to in this uh, referendum, if we do agree to it, that we don't end up, you know, another 30 whatever years down the line voting again. Hmm. And before we wrap up on this important topic, um, one of the really interesting things or one of the, one of the very, very memorable parts of the, uh, the 2015 referendum on marriage equality was the use of the Irish language in campaigning, make grow the law, and the, the little tall badge that has become iconic has become one of the, has become a symbol of reinvention of Irish as something modern, young, progressive, and and totally in, in keeping with social yeah. media and things like that. Has there been much interesting use of the Irish language in this particular debate? Well, funny that you say that. Um, depending on the, the wording of the, the referendum, I'm assuming that the repeal side is going to be a yes, and I would really love it was if it was tall for Manaw. I think that would be so great. Mm-hmm. If we could just piggyback off that, it'd be great. Um, if it's Neil, we can be Neil for repeal, but it's repeal and replace. <laughs> so, but I think I, I would love for it to be tall for Manaw. And okay, by Manaw we mean all people who can mm-hmm. get pregnant, not yeah. just women. Um, so there is that issue. Um, but I would really love it if if it was something like that. Um, because it is nice and snappy, mm-hmm. and sticks in people. Make a great hashtag. Before we go, what is the Irish for repeal? The Irish of Repeal is Oscar, A-I-S-G-H-A-I-R, Oscar. Um, so it would be Oscar on Ochtlasu or on Tochtlasu. And if you've been affected by any of the issues discussed in today's episode, you can contact... Please contact Abortion Rights Campaign. They offer some advice. Um, they are abortionrights.ie, uh, needabortionireland.org. They also provide um, information. Uh, they are a text line, um, but you can check out their number on their website. Uh, Women on Web also provide amazing counselling and uh services uh, around providing abortion pills in Ireland um, and if you want to get involved in your local group there are abortion rights campaign groups all over the country um, my own being Leash for Choice please do contact us if you want to get involved or if you're interested in any of the legal issues Lawyers for Choice are happy to, to take on board uh, more members Garajim thank you very much Karamila so it's a salon from me and a salon from me see you next time <laughs> Dark here. I was just thinking, I was reading a story recently about how ACDC recorded Back in Black in Barbados. They were trapped in their studio in the middle of a hurricane. And when the eye of the hurricane was there and they thought it might be safe to go out, apparently a news report went out that a hatchet murderer had escaped from a nearby prison. It was very dangerous. And maybe during this time they recorded one of the greatest rock albums of all time. I was thinking of this because Gary and Brian and I are trapped in the studio in the middle of the Beast from the East blizzard that is gripping Dublin. Yeah, it's almost the same thing. I mean, it's on par. Presumably, this episode will this have episode been on par with... is our back in black. Yeah. <laughs> Very much so. And I'm absolutely delighted to everyone who made it possible. We um, we, we, we send out, you know, our... our um, we, we appreciate the people who tried to get here but couldn't. We're caught in the storm, I believe. 
believe Padder is uh, is up to his neck in snow <laughs> trying to make it to the studio. Emer is probably uh, texting angrily on a train somewhere <laughs> between here and Maynooth, uh, complaining about the snow. Who knows? Hi, Emer. Hi, Padder. I just want to point out that I made it here. Just saying. Just, no shade, but I made it here. So you can tell the gal who lived in Finland isn't scared <laughs> of a few snowflakes. <laughs> so... Brian's here, and as always, Brian has been a phenomenal producer, giving us all the direction we need, telling me when I'm breathing the mic or when I bang the table. He made it possible. And while Kirsten isn't here, and she, we, are, we can only presume she's even in even worse weather over in Manchester. So big thanks to Kirsten, our artist, and to Brian, our producer. If you've enjoyed our, uh, our, our episode today, and we really hope that you did, because it's a very special one to us, we there are, um, you can subscribe and to Mother Folklore, which comes out every Friday on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Headstuff are a wonderful organization, and they make some other great shows too. For example, my first ever podcast was on was as a guest on Juvenalia. It's a great show. Please also review and tell your mates to listen to us. Tell your mates especially. Nothing counts more than word of mouth. Yeah, just tell them that we're class. <laughs> we are class. We're amazing. We're the rightiest All right, podcast. Relax, yeah. <laughs> they're not Emer and Pather aren't here. Relax. I know, I know. They're they're such a bad influence on me. But can we sing the theme song now? Join us next week for a surprise episode. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. That's right. A-S-G-H-I-G-H. sorry. Let's do that again. Oscar. Tell people to get out and vote. Only if you're voting for you.